Father, we thank you because you have a word for us today. We thank you, Lord, because you have reached into our mind and looked into our situations and said, that brother, that sister uh, needs help. So, Lord God, we invite your spirit to do this deep spiritual work in us, in our hearts. And again, Father, in that very area that has gone dormant with wintertime, the very area of our heart that we have kept, uh, at least tried to keep hidden from you, we give you access. Because we understand that we are not here by accident. We are here by appointment. Therefore, we pray that you would dig up the fallow ground. We pray, Lord, that all the shallowness that exists in this house, Lord, that you would create deep roots in you. And I acknowledge, Lord, that I cannot do it, but it is expressly the Spirit's work. So I ask you that you would use me for your will. And I ask you that everyone under the sound of my voice would lay their hearts open to the work of the Spirit today. And let no one leave this place the same way they walked into it. I'm praying that all the resistance that has gone up before uh, your people have walked into this place, we pray that it would come down in Jesus' name. Pray, Lord God, that everyone that has rejected you and your presence, that they would be accepting of you today, Lord God. So prepare us, arm us, that we may stand strong against the wiles of the adversary. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. As you know, last week we began our journey through Nehemiah, rebuilding the broken, the brokenness. And we uh, talked about uh, the news that had come to Nehemiah via his brother Hanani about uh, the state or the condition of things there in Jerusalem. And how his brother said, bad, 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 things are bad back at home. Who wants to hear that? So Nehemiah, he heard the news about his people. He heard the news about the remnant. The news about the wall. The news about the gate. And he responded to the brokenness that was inherent in the land where he was from. In verse 4. And he said, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Again, God's people were in a bad place spiritually, emotionally, and some were in a bad place physically. The situation developed for the worse for God's people. Things didn't get better. They were in a terrible place. They were stuck due to their malfeasance. 
But prior to the situation, we found out that the people of God, they had a safe home. A home that was of protection and security. In fact, who doesn't want to be at a house where you don't feel safe and you don't feel secure? But we know that ultimately the adversary had his way with them and he began to run amok and to take advantage of God's people. But again, as we know, they broke trust with the Lord by their own blatant disobedience. When they were protected, the walls that surrounded Jerusalem that it represented more than mere walls of beauty or, or walls to guard against a seen enemy. You see, walls also represent spiritual protection or the lack thereof. And as you heard last time, the presence of the wall was spiritually and psychologically reassuring to God's people. Right? The presence of the wall was spiritually and psychologically reassuring to God's people. So therefore, if that assured you spiritually and psychologically, if that wall is missing, how does that make you feel? You still don't get it. Okay, imagine if you had to go home today after church. Your door was intact, but you had no walls in your house. How would that, oh yeah, the beams were there and, and the roof was still over your head. How would that make you feel if you had no walls in your house? But walls not only protect us, walls also represent strongholds. Walls represent strongholds. You see, if you had a wall uh, that is present, it simply means that your adversary or those who are in opposition against you, they are unable to get to you. They have no access to you. So think of a stronghold as a wall. A wall is a stronghold. It is a barrier of which those who are out to get you are unable to succeed. Consider that now in your heart and all of its various implications for you. But if that stronghold can be torn down, then the enemy, now he gains access. And see, he can get into you. And see, what he wants to do, he wants to break you. The enemy, he wants to break you down. He wants to destroy you. How would your enemy do that? Oh, imagine if you would a castle uh, back in the Middle Ages. And you remember that a castle back in the Middle Ages are typically surrounded by walls. And as uh, those walls were being present, it protected not only the castle itself, but it protected the king and all the citizens that uh, contained within that wall. But then the enemy, as you can imagine with your sanctified imagination, the enemy does everything in their power to gain access to everything behind the walls. Destroy as much as possible and to take captive anything and everyone that he can. See, that enemy would like to say that what's there no longer belongs to you. What's there now belongs to me. So what do they do? You know, Middle Ages, they shoot cannonballs at the walls. Why? Hoping that the cannonball, as it goes forth with intensity and force and power, with an explosion to create a hole in the wall. And once that hole is in the wall, uh, that wall of protection has now been breached. See? 
And then uh, they, they'll try to shoot arrows over the wall to kill anyone on the wall uh, to get them uh, to be powerless against their attacks. You see, uh, by creating one breach, they then are able to infiltrate the city to do what? Right? So if the enemy uh, can open up one avenue into a wall, into a protected city-state, they're now able to get uh, their, uh, the rest of their buddies into that wall and then open up other, other avenues. Hear what I'm saying now. Hear what I'm saying. If the enemy can create one breach in the wall, it now grants them access to other ways to open up other doors, other gates, so the rest of their cohort can now gain access into everything that you've been trying to protect. Huh. Hear what I'm saying? Have you ever noticed when a relationship is bad, it gets worse? Have you ever noticed when you're trying to get everything right, uh, but you know uh, you're just struggling, uh, that what ends up happening, things may go from good to bad, and from bad to worse. And you're wondering what's going on. God, what's happening? You see, once the enemy gets in, uh, once he gets in one way, uh, you now become susceptible uh, to the attacks in other areas. <laughs> so your spiritual life has been breached. Once in that enemy, he creates all types of chaos, and he will do as much harm, much destruction, much damage as he possibly can. Now, okay. But some may say that, uh, you don't understand, I'm in Jesus Christ. I'm in Jesus Christ, and therefore I have an impregnable wall of protection in Jesus. <laughs> some say. But, the problem is that uh, some of you have decided to venture out from the protection that Jesus Christ provides you, which is contrary to his will. So, uh, so, so the Lord says, I will give you protection, I will give you security, but then you say, you know what, I don't need it here, I'm okay, uh, I, I got this God. Who knows that you're heading for trouble anytime you tell God, I got this. Because if you got more than what God can have, you know that your hands are going to be full to the brim. As one gentleman used to say years ago when I was in seminary, he used to say that, he used to say, I am busier than a one-armed man hanging wallpaper. You see, that's going to be you when you think uh, you're going to tell God, I got this, I have control. But what I'm going to tell you is that keep on living. Keep on living. You think you get all that? You are wrong uh, that someone has told you wrong. So disobedience and a lack of spiritual alignment weakens the wall the Lord has provided us. And it allows the enemy to shoot his damaging cannonballs, which eventually causes that breach in our life. He will shoot. You know, you'll feel strong at first, thinking that you don't need God, that I got this and I can do it myself. But eventually, you are not going to have the strength. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 13. Isaiah 30, verse 13. The prophet says this, Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse 
whose breaking comes suddenly. In an instant. Verse 14, and its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is found with which to take fire from the hearth or to dip up water out of the cistern. What? What he's saying is that once there has been created a breach in your life that you're not going to have a leg to stand on. He's saying that if there's pottery behind the breach, that those balls and everything else they're throwing inside, that it's going to utterly destroy everything in them all the way to the point that you can't even get yourself a drink of water. This is what he's saying. But no, that doesn't change our position in Christ. Right? So even though this may be true of us, even though we may have these struggles, even though we may have given ground to the adversary, that does not change our position in Christ. Right? So if you are a fall of Christ, you will remain a fall of Christ. But it damages our emotional and our physical state. Then, once the enemy has access, it also causes collateral damage. Collateral damage, that means, you see, uh, what happens with a cannonball is that not only can it go and just hit the one spot, then other things around it can be destroyed as well. In our life, that collateral damage is, uh, are things like our family, our friend, and those we've been trying to witness to. So while we may feel like it's only about me, uh, that this is happening to me, uh, that uh, I'll be okay, and know that it, it will cause damage in other people's lives. Because as you know, you've heard me say time and time again, people will say, didn't I tell you about those Christians? Didn't I tell you? And I know it may seem tough. And I know you may just be trying to come up for air. But Jesus has already given you the strength that you need. Jesus has already given you the strength that you need. In fact, if you, if you really want to be honest, that even if you're walking in obedience, that does not stop the enemy from attacking you. See, on the one hand, you know that you're not doing things uh, that, that will please God, and the enemy can come in. But when, even when you're doing things that please God, the enemy can still try to come in and destroy your life. How does he do it? <laughs> one brick at a time. One issue at a time. You're talking to people, uh, they call you a name. Next thing you know, you call them a name. They decide that they're going to give you a nudge. You decide that you're going to give them a nudger. They decide that they're going to take a hit at you. You're going to pull out a gun and shoot them. You see, uh, this is what happens. Uh, things get worse. One brick at a time. He will try to get us to compromise on one little area. Right? If you're walking in obedience, He will try to get us to compromise in one little area and then say this, since you've already gone this far, you might as well take the next step. Because the next step is just an inch away. This is what the adversary will do. So if you go ahead and take that next inch, that next little nudge away, go ahead and do it. Why? Because what difference does it make anyway? And then once you have made that step, he tries to get you in a place that now he wants to expose you. Now he wants to, uh, to, to air all your dirty laundry, but he doesn't tell you that up front. It's like sometimes you go and you buy a car. And then you, dis you discover after a period of time that, oh, I didn't know that this car did that. 
And what did they tell you? Oh, you, you, you done bought it now. You're having buyer's remorse. So, whether we refer to what kind of videos you watch, what kind of words that come out of your mouth, or the sexuality you compromise through various means, whether it is the next drug or the next drink, or whatever the area of compromise, know that it is just the beginning and once you have given up, uh, all hell will begin to break loose. And it would be all hell trying to get free. See, once a stronghold has entered your life, it will not want to let you go. Each time you give a little more to the adversary, until what has been built up for you in the Lord uh, seems like it has been compromised totally. You know what I mean, because your spiritual strength isn't as strong as what it used to be. Remember how strong you felt in the beginning? Remember how you wanted to tell others about Jesus now? You're like, well, you know, maybe not. But I'm not sure about my life. So not only have you given up in old areas, but now you have granted access in new places. So as your spiritual wall comes down in Christ, the devil begins to build a wall of darkness, uh, uh, therefore causing resistance to all things that are holy and righteous. I want you to know that there is a stronghold tailor-made just for you. There's a stronghold tailor-made just for you. See, your stronghold uh, may not be my stronghold. You see, for one person, it's, you know, I, I just, it's the alcohol. Uh, but see, the other person, it's that mouth of yours. That's your stronghold. But for another person, it, it might be something as, as simple as or as complex as pornography. Every time, I'm, every time I pick up my phone, I'm, I'm watching it. Every time I'm on my computer, these things are popping up. Each time you give in a little bit more to the adversary, it becomes harder and harder. And then you don't want anything to do with God's people. You see, this is why some of us have no more fight left in us. This is why some of us just say, what the heck? This is why we have given up, because we have succeeded our spiritual ground to the devil. No, it's not because of that other person that's making you feel bad, making you feel terrible. It's because you, in your heart, have succeeded the ground to the adversary. But he has bombarded your spiritual forces, your wall. He has bombarded you over and over again until finally you say, what the heck? protection that the Lord has provided you has been compromised and the devil has constructed strongholds any time that he can get his foot in the door of your life remember years ago uh, one of the techniques they used to tell a salesman that's before the internet and all the other stuff that when they would come to your house that what they would do is when you would open the door and they tried to give you a sales pitch and then when, when the customer or the client tried to close the door what did they tell them to do Put their foot in the door. Right? I had a friend who, who told me that one time his, uh, uh, his, his, his daughter, there was this guy who wanted to date his daughter. And he had come to the house to see his daughter. And he opened up the door. He says, no, you can't see my daughter today. So he proceeds to close the door. And what does this guy do? He slides his foot in this man's the door to his house. Well, that young man almost ended up dead. I want you to know that. But uh, saying that uh, this is what the adversary wants to do in your life, he just wants to slide his foot into your door. Because if he can slide his foot into your door, he knows then he can probably get his shoulder in. 
And then if he can get his shoulder in, you know he tries to wiggle the rest of his body in and gain access, doesn't he? Right? And then once he has his entire body in, then he wants to do as much damage to your life as possible. He wants to do nothing but kill, steal, and destroy. That's what the adversary wants to do. That is his fingerprint. Look at your life. Then you realize, when you reflect on your life, what has become of me? What happened to me? The protection the Lord has provided has been compromised. And now, what happens? But again, I know some of you believe that Christ has entered your life Therefore, there remains no more threats of strongholds from the devil. At least that would be some uh, that would uh, propose a, a, a theological opposition to what I'm saying. Well, if this is true, if you're listening to me, and, and this is uh, uh, the wall that you're putting up against what I'm saying against God's word, the first thing I want you to do is look at your life. Now, I, I'm talking about those who really value God's word to the highest degree. <laughs> that you don't believe any of that charismatic stuff, on the one hand. And then I'm talking to those who believe in all the charismatic stuff. So I got to do this, and if I do this, and if I do this, I'm good to go. Do you have strongholds in your life? The struggles that you have in your relationships. The sensitivity to what people say about you. The foods that you just got to have. Yes, even food, right? If there's a food that you got to have, you have a stronghold. You, many of you know I had a stronghold of ice cream in my life. Sounds funny. But my wife will tell you, that was my thing. Thank God for his deliverance. Can you say amen? Many of, you, many of you know my story. God delivered me from that. Or your inability to get close to people uh, in the church. Or your anger, your strife, your pornography, your lying, and anything that gives you the shakes when you can't have it. In fact, some of you, when I provide that list, all the images begin to pop in your head. Stronghold. It's a stronghold. Because you can't get past it. But you're saying that I don't believe you can ever get past it. Then you don't believe in the power of God. If you don't think that you can get past where you are, you don't believe in the power of God. And if you don't believe in the power of God, you don't believe in the power of His Word, and you don't believe in the power of His Spirit. Because God can do exceedingly, come on, abundantly above all that we could ask or even think, including that mess. This is why our emotions are not reliable signs of our salvation or the presence of the Holy Spirit because if it was left to that, you would never be saved and you would never accomplish anything in your life. It's the first thing I want you to look at. The second thing I want you to look at is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse Three. Paul says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to do what? To destroy what? <laughs> okay. To destroy strongholds. What does it say to destroy what? Okay. Verse 5. We destroy arguments. You see, arguments is what? 
a stronghold, right? But, but, but look at the context, Haber. Read the whole context. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Huh. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Uh, so, uh, on the one sense, in the context, Paul is speaking of all those things that are, are Christ-like, all those things concerning Jesus Christ in the knowledge of God. But the implication is also the other strongholds, right? Because these strongholds that occur in our life, they are raised against the knowledge of God. Now, remember this now. Who was this letter written to? Was it written to unbelievers or believers? Let's try it again. Who was this letter written to? Was it written to unbelievers or was it written to believers? It was written to believers. Paul says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, are not carnal, but mighty through God for pulling down strongholds, casting down, you know, throwing all that mess down, imaginations, those things that have been built up in your mind, in your life, that continues to war against the knowledge of God. Paul says that if you are in Christ, you have the ability, you have the power to pull these things down, but you need the blood of Jesus to do so. See, this is what happens. Uh, every time you take a spiritual move against those things I mentioned before, uh, like a failing relationship, right? Uh, every time you make a spiritual move against pornography, every time you make a move against alcoholism, the wall that the adversary has placed in your life, that it resists. On the one hand, uh, that protection of God has come down in that sense. And then the enemy comes in and he wrecks his own thing. And then again we say, what's the use of why even try? So who do you think is at the heart of not wanting you to have wholeness in your life? Who do you think, when you say, well, what's the use? I'm going to give up. Who do you think is behind that thought? Do you think God is behind that? When we speak of righteousness, when we speak of justice, when we speak of holiness, uh, when you try to erect those things uh, before the Lord, know that when there is resistance, when there is opposition, know that it is the adversary. Why? As Jesus says, he whom the Son set free is free indeed. He also says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? Come on now. Galatians 5 and 1. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Galatians 5, verse 1. Paul says here, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For freedom Christ has set me free. For freedom Christ has set me free. Can you say that with me? Come on. For freedom Christ has set me free. Who has Christ set free? Me. He set me free, me, us. So again, who's behind the resistance? Who doesn't want you free? Who wants you to fall into the same old habits, the same old defaults, the same way you've always lived your life all the time? Who wants, who wants that to happen? Nothing but the adversary. When you don't feel like going to church to be with God's people, who do you think that is? Well, he said, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to stay home today just because. You think that's you? <laughs> Do you really think that's you in your mind alone? 
oh, I'm just, uh, you know what? I don't feel like going, but once church starts, I'm going to go to the store. Oh, but once church starts, I'm going to go out and have lunch. Who do you think is behind that in the first place? Well, you know what? I don't need to bring my family to the church because we're just going to have church in my house. Ah. He said, now, you, now you're messing. Well, okay, you don't have to go to a building. We know the church is not. But, uh, but anytime God's people come together and you don't want to be with God's people, understand that what's behind that is the plan, is the scheme, is the method of the adversary. They will erect strongholds in your life and do everything in their power to keep you at home and to keep you in bondage. What about your first reaction when things go bad? See, there's another sign. Is it to go to the Lord, or is it immediately to curse somebody out? Right? You, first thing, your first flinch is, you so-and-so, right? Right? Or is it that, that's okay, I'm going to get even. That's all right. Or is it, God, I just, I want you to take care of that. Or is it, uh, they can't do that to me, who do they think they am? They don't, don't they know who I am? See, the wall of the Lord has come down, and the wall of the enemy has been erected. So we understand that in Nehemiah, the Jews could not see the wall of the enemy, but we know it was present due to the, to the, to the emotional and, and physical state of God's people. You can look at how depressed that they were. So Nehemiah, he addresses this issue of a lack of God's stronghold or God's protection, and he addresses this issue through prayer and fasting. This is what gave Nehemiah the needed power and authority it's total dependence on God because he could not do it alone. So fasting is an integral part of prayer when your need is overwhelming. When it's just too much and you know you just want to go off. You know when you've had enough. You know when that has happened, you know you have an overwhelming need in your life. Again, Nehemiah says in Nehemiah 1.4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and prayer before the God of heaven. And some would say, again, I, and I mention these because I know... Uh, some Christians in certain camps, they just don't believe in this fasting thing, right? But this is important. We have to realize this because fasting has been, always been a part of our process, even from the Old Testament. But picking up from the New Testament, Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Luke 4, verse 1, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. So what do you think Jesus did for those 40 days? He was praying, and he was doing what? Fasting for the Jesus. Now this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is the lion of the tribe of Judah. That he himself, that he prayed and he fasted. It was not only true of him, but also of his disciples. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. Come on with me now. Acts 13, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
So in this case, they were worshiping. And my guess is if they were worshiping, they were also praying. So they were worshiping, praying uh, uh, to the Lord, and they were also fasting. And in the midst of that time of worship and, and of fasting and of prayer, what happened? God spoke. God spoke. But of course, uh, fasting is not left dangling in God's word as if uh, this is the only place that it happens within uh, the Christian community. Look at Martin Luther. Martin Luther says this, and I quote, First, we slay the old Adam ourselves. When we suppress and restrain our evil inclinations, when we by fasting, watching, prayer, and industry subdue unchastity, when we by alms and kind of services to our neighbor overcome hatred and malice, when in short we conquer our own wills in every possible way, end quote. This is Martin Luther. So face it, let's just tell the truth in ourselves. Let's look in the mirror. Christians are overfed on the word on, on the world and underfed spiritually. Christians are overfed on the world and underfed spiritually. Now, since I've been uh, lifting a few weights these last few months, I've discovered there's something that's called muscle imbalance. You know, muscle imbalance is when one muscle gets larger than the other muscle. For instance, you know, my uh, 20 inches here and my 18 inch on this side, right? right? That's called a muscle imbalance, right? Well, the reason if you have a muscle imbalance, one muscle is larger than the other is because uh, you haven't been paying as much attention to one as opposed to, or to the other. Or it can be a thing of genetics, right? Or it can be a thing of nutrition. I'm not sure what the issue may be, but the bottom line is one is larger than the other. Your muscles, they are imbalanced. So to compensate for that, uh, the person who lifts weights, uh, that they have to pay now uh, more, a little bit more attention to the underdeveloped muscle. Believers know all there is in the world. They know all about his operation. They know who done done who wrong. But they are much weaker in their spiritual life. You ask them to find the book of Nehemiah in the Bible, they may ask you, they may ask you, is that even in the Bible in the first place? But you ask them, uh, where was uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce last week? They'll tell you that. Tell them what's the latest uh, music or the latest video. They'll tell you all of that. But then you ask them, I want you to recite a Bible verse for me. And they'll say things like, Jesus wept. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm saying that uh, we have imbalances in our life when we should be praying for ourselves and praying for other people. We are, ourselves are still in need to be fed by meat or by milk. Milk Christians. So we fast so we can concentrate on the issue at hand over our physical needs. When you have a project due at work, what do you do? <laughs> you know, well, I'm not going to have lunch today. Oh, you know what? I'm going to stay late today. You know what? I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that this thing gets done. But then, when there is a spiritual need in our life, when do we take that spiritual approach? Oh, well, I, I, I ain't got time to pray. Well, you know, I, I don't have time to fast because I need my energies. You see, all of a sudden, we become uh, uh, kindergartens in our spiritual life. Preschoolers, in fact. We fast to concentrate on the issue at hand because we have a great and troubling need. There are strongholds, there are walls in our life that needs to come down and God needs to come up to be strengthened in our life. Are you willing to fast until you get the spiritual work 
done. It may not be 40 days. It may be 50 days. It may be 60. It may be six months. It may be a year. Remember what fasting I'm speaking of now. Because if you don't eat or drink, eat any food or drink any water for six months, you're going to be gone well, well before six months. So be wise. If you need more information, take a look at our website. So if your prayer is not getting the results you need, then you must take a look at yourself and take a look at your prayer, but also discern whether or not God has already answered it. Because God, he answers in different ways. He may just simply tell you, ah, no, you, you ain't getting that. Or he, or he just may say, hold on, just keep praying, just stay right here, keep praying, because I am going to answer. Or he just simply may say yes and open up that avenue for you or give you the healing or, or give you the money that you need, uh, have something done for you. So he may say no, yes, that may be your answer. No may be your answer, Amen. Who knows when you ask a parent for something that sometimes they tell you no. Why does the parent tell you no? Because there's many times that you don't even know what's good for you. So therefore your parent tells you no, you can't have that. Or you're not, you're not ready for it. So Nehemiah here, he provides for us one model of prayer. Now I'm almost done now. Nehemiah 1 verse 5. Here it is, as we begin this walk. We'll finish this up next time. First thing we need to do in our prayer is acknowledge the Lord who keeps his word. Write that down. Acknowledge the Lord who keeps his word. Acknowledge the Lord. God will not lie. Verse 5. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. The Lord is called the God of heaven, which implies that there is no competitor and that there is no other God. But it also tells us that he is the one who rules and reigns everything which appears, uh, and that seems incomprehensible to the, uh, the vast majority of us. For instance, how do you define heaven while explaining its vastness in all that it contains? How do you describe that? Or how would you define infinity in one sentence or less? Well, the Lord can because He is infinite. And He is the creator of all time and all matter. And as you know, that God existed before there was time. So the Lord God of heaven and all the saints and angels it contains, right? He is the Lord of it all. In heaven, he has sovereign rule over all things. This is the place where Nehemiah begins his prayer with the thought that God is a lot bigger than he and he acknowledged it in his prayer. God, here I am in this tough situation and the first thing I want you to know, I know that, I know that you know that I already know this, but I want to say this out loud, that God, you're a lot greater, you're a lot awesomer than anything else that I can possibly imagine. So God, I worship you and I give you all the praise, all the honor and all the glory that belongs you. Lord God, receive my prayer. I know there's things on the back burner, but right now, God, you are all and all. We call this humility. Coming before the Lord in humbleness. And if we can't acknowledge our weakness before the Lord, why should we expect anything from him? If we can't acknowledge his sheer power, and strength, why would we need him in the first place? The Lord is truly awesome. The Lord is truly great and worthy of our praise. Now, when you are in an immediate situation and you need God, uh, you may not have time for all that. Can you say amen? 
right? You know if you're driving in your car, right, and you see another car coming at you, it looks like he's about to do some damage to you, you may not have time to say, well, Lord, first off, I want to let you know that you're great and awesome. All right? It's happened to me before. I've been on an expressway before, late at night, and I saw a car coming right at me on the expressway. The Lord gave me grace, I'm telling you, because... There were a couple of cars behind me that that car he ran head into, dead on. And he was going 60, 65 miles an hour the wrong way. When I saw that car, you know what I said? Jesus. Jesus. Get me out of the way. Because number one, I'm figuring that if he's on the wrong side, he got to be high or drunk. And a person that's high or drunk, going 60, 65 miles hour on the wrong way of the expressway you try to move out the way and a lot of times you know what they'll do they'll come right at you because they're already out of their mind so all I could do is say Jesus I just said Jesus I couldn't think of any other prayer but Jesus Jesus all I could say so know again that God is to be worshipped so the Lord, he is the keeper of all promises. But we must believe it in our faith. Uh, Hebrews eleven six says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Can you say amen? So Nehemiah says God keeps his word. This is ever so true when the people of Israel were experiencing at that moment in time. God said he was going to take care of them, and he did, all right. He said he was going to punish them, and he did. They were now in a land where, some, where they were suffering, and many were suffering as they had to endure the real presence of gods, gods, plural, who are not gods, made of wood and stone. So I want you to remember, brothers and sisters, that number one, that there are strongholds and there are walls. That is a reality. But we look now to Nehemiah's prayer to help us to break through during this time of prayer and fasting. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we want to thank you so much. I want to thank you for the word that we heard today, Lord God. My prayer is that someone would have a breakthrough, that someone would be free because of the veracity, the truthfulness of your word, Lord. Lord God, some may not yet understand.